Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like to support the ministries of Rancho Church as we advance the cause of Christ together, you may do so at rancho.tv giving. Enjoy. All right, we are kind of sad to say this is the last week of the XYZ series. We've had a great, great time going through every generation. We introduced uh, the traditions generation when we got started six weeks ago. Then we uh, interviewed the boomer generation. Then we interviewed the true greatest generation, Gen X. Let's hear it for Gen X. <laughs> uh, last week, we uh, interviewed a bunch of millennials. And that was very encouraging and, and inspiring. In fact, I got to say this. The older generations loved that interview with the millennials. Uh, they were so inspired by that. That's cool. But today, we're interviewing our youngest kids and grandkids. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you Generation Z. As they come up, this is the generation that very well may usher in a global peace and prosperity and justice for all that the world has never seen before. So here they here they are. All right. <laughs> Having fun. And of course, they're all on their devices. All right. This is called Generation Z, but as you can clearly tell, they are also called the digital native generation. Uh, they do not get off their, their devices. Okay, kids, let's, uh, let's kind of uh, tighten up here. Um, this is a generation that is, is very interesting for a lot of reasons that we'll talk about today. Uh, one of which is um, their devices. They are completely tied to them. Can you ever remember a time where you were without a device? No, no. Jackson's nodding his head, yes. Well, what time uh, did you remember where you didn't have a device? Every time I get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the only time he's without a device. Could you even imagine a human existence without a device? Nope. No. no. Not, nope. It just doesn't exist. It, they, their oh, device, what? and then there is no difference between the two. They can't imagine their personhood without their device. That is very unique to this generation. That's why they're called digital natives. They're also known for being um, competitive. This is a very competitive generation. And uh, since they're still very young, we're talking about age five through 25, and we have uh, middle school students here, actually upper elementary, middle. Um, this generation is known for being competitive. Uh, just the way the world is ordered around them, and we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, everything is a competition. So uh, how many of you guys are in competitive athletics? Club sports? All right, very good. What age were you when you started competitive sports? Two or three. Two or three? One. <laughs> One. <laughs> three. Three, all right, this is very normal. Um, life is all about competition for a, a lot of reasons. What are some other things you have to compete um, for? Yes. Um, like a scholarship or grades. Scholarship, grades. Sports. Sports for sure. Um, like on social media, like followers. Yep, social media followers. Popularity comes up as well, that the popularity kind of contest in this generation is totally different. Uh, when I was in school, uh, dinosaurs were walking the earth, so we had to you know, seek our survival there. But popularity was really only in a small group of people. It's just my friends and kind of the concentric circle around us. We just had to compete with a few people for, for popularity. These guys, their lives are on social media. And so they are being essentially judged and compared to the world. No pressure. <laughs> so everything is, is a competition. Um, what does that competition do to you? What do you feel as a result of all this competition? Makes you feel stressed sometimes. Stressed, okay overwhelmed. All right. Like 
sometimes all the weight on your shoulders, like if it's too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I enjoy competition in academics and sports, and I like competition in general. <laughs> so it's kind of mixed, right? Uh, you can have some of this competition be a little bit much, and there could be a feeling of overwhelm and stress, but many people like competition as well. And so for both, both boys and girls who are raised in this culture of competition uh, with grades, and that grade results in college, which results in you know, scholarship opportunities as well. So there's a lot of pressure. Some of it is direct, where there's direct pressure on this generation. Hey, dude, you need to get a scholarship, whether it's academic or, or athletic. Um, you need to perform. You need to meet some expectations. But some of it is, is indirect. Lots of conversation around uh, college placement. This is a large population. This generation is, is huge. I think it's the largest living generation. And there's not that many new college spots. So the competition for fewer college spots and plus the price situation is going through the roof. So there's a lot of pressure on these guys for sure. Um, and there's different feelings. Some is good, like I enjoy the competition, bring it on. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit of burnout on that. Uh, so you're having to compete in more aspects of your life. So you're, you're going to be a strong generation, but what are some things that may stand in your way? What are the things that are in the way of your success perhaps? Yeah. Siblings. <laughs> so there's a lot of competitiveness with siblings. Competition starts at home, right? And when you have a sibling that is uh, very successful in some things, sometimes that kind of buries your success, right? Every sibling goes through that uh, for sure. But in, a, in an era of competition, that could be, you know, highlighted. Yeah. Like uh, people who could bring you down, like bullies and stuff, okay. like they will bring you down, but other people will build you back up. So that's good. Okay, so you got, you got mixed voices in your life. You have some people that support you, but there's also some people who might consider you a threat in the competition, and so they're putting you down. And uh, one thing that's very prevalent in, in uh, this generation is, is bullying. Again, back in my day, bullies, you just knew who they were. They were the two people, <laughs> bullies of the school. There's online bullying, which again goes to the entire world, is, is your life is online. Sometimes comments come online, cyberbullying, or people putting fake, uh, uh, starting fake uh, accounts to bully um, in that way. So there's a lot, it's a lot more complicated when it comes to people that might you know, be giving you pressure. What else stands in, in the way? There's some issues of, uh, of, of race and gender as well, right? Um, well, there was this one time a teacher said that uh, they needed three strong boys to carry heavy things. Um, <laughs> and it makes you feel like you can't do as much as boys can do, even though we can do as much as other people can do. All right. So that's, uh, yeah, good for you on that. Um, we can applaud that. That's cool. But sometimes the older generations just kind of still live in, in sort of that world of roles that, boy, if something needs to be heavy, heavy carried, it's sort of like, hey, guys, would you take care of it? And sometimes that makes the girls feel a certain way as well. Um, sometimes you can also be like compared to people. Like sometimes you can feel like your parents are like comparing you to your siblings. Right. So comparison is everywhere, right? The sibling comparison is pretty strong. Uh, the athletic comparison is strong. Academics, every single bit of their world is sizing up to somebody else. And again, all of it is online for everybody uh, to see. What in the world is broken that you want to see fixed? Um, homeless people. Okay, so homelessness is definitely part of what we do around here quite a bit, and that was, you had one experience that was, that hit you pretty good. Um, so when I was in second grade, I was coming back from a hike, 
and I saw a woman who was about 30, and she had a little girl with her who was probably around three, and she was just on the side of the road crying because she lost her apartment, and she had nothing, um, so... That's sad. So, so that the homelessness and poverty issues are really acute. Uh, uh, again, we see it in, on social media and in personal experiences as well. What else is broken in the world? Uh, pollution. Like, we need to pick up after ourselves because um, we have a lot of trash everywhere. Yeah, okay. So very sensitive to, uh, p- to pollution as well as uh, climate change, yes? Racism, a lot okay. of that. And uh, we see that, in, again, social media. We see that in news, yes? Um, like the amount of people who want to like hurt people sometimes, okay. like robbing places. So uh, as you're on social media, you see all of the world's news coming in and that includes harm that can come to people and can that make you afraid sometimes? Yeah. yeah? Okay. All right. So the social media world, sometimes the uh, older folks can sort of navigate and bring their own boundaries to it. With young folks, it's just kind of dumps in and, and they need some perhaps some guidance and processing that for sure. What can you do specifically to make the world a better place? Uh, we could help like volunteer and pick up trash and nice. just like, like think of how much waste we give a day. It was like five pounds each person. Good, yep. Uh, we can donate. Donate, good. We can spread the word of God. Nice, very good. <laughs> he took his answer. <laughs> Uh, anything else? What can you do to make the world a better place? Be kind to others. Be kind to others. Yeah, good. Uh, treat everyone equally. That's good. Yep, cool. Now, uh, all these kids go to Rancho Christian. We just felt as though we wanted to have a group of people that were comfortable with each other, not strangers. And so we spent quite a bit of time with these folks. And, and, and so you at home, at school, um, there is a pouring in of, of God's grace and love into your life. Knowing God's love for you... Um, how does that help you, uh, in terms of what you feel about yourself? Um, sometimes when, like, you're down in the dumps and you feel like nobody loves you and, like, you're all alone, like, when you're a Christian, you know that God is always there for you and that God will always love you unconditionally and whatever you do, he'll always be That's there. Good. Yeah, to add on that, like, sometimes you feel like you're in the dark and your whole world is crumbling down, but like look to God as your role model and like um, everything will be okay. Very good, awesome. And uh, how does God's love not only make you feel better about yourself, but make you feel better about how you treat others? How can we treat others um, with the the love that God has for us? What What can we do to make the world a better place by how we treat each other? You can treat them like just as they're in God's image. All right, good. Uh, you can forgive them if they do something wrong. Um, treat them the way that God treats us. All right, good. You can use the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, um, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Good. Now, you, you memorized that, which is really cool. And when, when we first had a, a chat on Friday, you just let that fly. Where did you learn that? Our music teacher. Really? Your music teacher? Hmm. Interesting. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> the fruit of a spirit is not a coconut. That doesn't make any sense. The fruit of a spirit is not a coconut. That doesn't make any sense either. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit, fruit of, of the spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, praise, <laughs> kindness, goodness, 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 goodness
All right, very good, guys. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Generation Z. Now, all these kids are fifth and sixth grade. They do go to Rancho Christian. They know each other, so they're very comfortable with each other. And, uh, and, and they're, they're really being uh, brought up in a world that's very unique and very wonderful. We talked about digital natives. We talked about competition. We talked about sort of the strength that competition brings up, but also some of the anxieties that competition brings up. And, and sociolo sociologists and psychologists are trying to figure out why these trends are happening and maybe the source of some of these trends in the youngest generation. And, and a lot of uh, experts are coming up with the source as being the Great Recession. In fact, psychologist Anthony Turner says this, the economic recession from uh, 08 to 12 is a particularly important historic event that shaped Generation Z due to the way their childhoods were affected by financial stresses felt by their parents. So a, a lot of this uh, energy and strength uh, comes from the recession and watching their parents struggle, watching their parents be resourceful, watching their parents kind of figure things out. And then they also are, are raised in this environment of, of heightened competition, and a lot of that is driven by economy. As you heard their answers, you heard economy all over the place. It's, not, it's about getting into college and college scholarships, and one even said jobs. So here they are in fifth, sixth grade, talking about and worrying about their jobs. Why? They experienced, through their family, the Great Recession and the impact that that had. So this generation has a lot of concerns, a lot of, a lot of burdens, and they also have this entrepreneurial streak because they know they've got to go get it, right? That it's not just going to be handed to them. They understood the Great Recession took a lot of things away. They saw their parents have to rebuild a lot, and so they've got that ethic that I've got to go and make this world. It doesn't, it's not necessarily going to be handed for me, um, it, it, to me. If I'm gonna to go to college, I probably need to figure that out financially. I need to figure that out with academics. I need to figure that out with sports. They know they've gotta figure this stuff out. They've gotta work for it. And so they have a strength there that is pretty powerful, but it does create some stress. The Great Recession taught Generation Z to be independent and has led to an entrepreneurial desire after seeing their parents and older siblings struggle. They don't wanna struggle again and they know they've gotta forge a path of success that is gonna make it work. Now this generation, as it's been studied so far, has some very interesting good traits of previous generations. So all of you and us older generations have left a legacy to them that they're actually absorbing pretty well. They tend to have some of the work ethic of the baby boomer generation, they tend to have some of the family values of generation X, and they tend to have the humanitarian optimism of the millennial generation. All this is in there. All of it's in there, and it's pretty exciting. And so as a result, Generation Z just might usher in global peace, global prosperity, and equal justice for everyone that the world has never known before. That's possible with this generation. Generation Z has the opportunity to build the world that God envisions. So um, in the Old Testament, you'll read about all kinds of wars and slavery, terrible things, right? People hurting people. And in the midst of that, God is putting forward these promises. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. A day will come when he will judge between nations and will settle disputes for all people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In the midst of war and terrible global circumstances, barbarianism, 
From 3,000 years ago, a promise goes out that a better day is coming, a day of peace. This generation imagines a day of peace. This generation imagines Isaiah chapter 2 actually being a reality on this earth. And it's not only based on a worldview that, that is deeply ingrained in them by their, uh, by their parents, by their mentors, by their environment, that, that hopeful days, better days are coming, but it's actually the experience of their lives. I'm going to show you things that I guarantee some of you just flat will deny. You will just deny these things, and I'm telling you, open up your mind here. Open up your mind. One of the most controversial things said from this stage is that the world is getting better. Generally, people from the older generations cannot believe that, but let me show it to you. These are all statistics from study after study. It's the real deal. Don't deny it. Extreme poverty is being eliminated on the earth right now. Extreme poverty is being eliminated on the earth. Uh, it used to be 94% of the world was in extreme poverty. Now it's less than 10%. By 2070, and this generation is looking forward to 2070, that's the world that they will see. The year 2070, uh, extreme poverty could be eliminated, will likely be eliminated on the face of the earth. Basic education. Used to be 17% of the population was educated. Now it's 86. By 2070, it will likely be 100% of the world receives basic education. Democracy used to be 1%, now 56%. 2070, who knows? That gap is China. Who knows what's going to happen there? Vaccinations used to be zero, now it's 86%. By 2070, it will be 100% of the children will receive vaccinations throughout the world. Child mortality used to be 43% of children did not live to five years old. Now it is less than 4% of children do not live to the age of five. By 2020, it is expected to be slightly above 0%. Probably a half of 1% of children will not make it to the age of five. Deaths by war. At its peak, it's 20 deaths per 100,000 people on earth. Now it is statistically zero. Right now, and for a very long time, statistically 0% of the population of the earth dies by war. Now, deaths happen, wars happen, but they're smaller skirmishes. If, if a few people die by conflict, we'll hear about it on the news, right? But you, some of you will remember reports of hundreds per day dying or thousands even dying in particular uh, battles. That is history. Now, we're one war away from that being different, but there is a long, long period of peace, and it is assumed that that might continue. It could very well be that these kids live their entire lives in global peace. How about population growth? Population growth was exploding over the past 50 to 70 years, and it's been a problem. It is now leveling off. Population by every single metric will level off at 2070 uh, with 10 billion people. And this earth can sustain wonderfully 10 billion people with enough resources. How about abortion? Abortion is a big deal for a lot of older generations in terms of political stances and moral stances. And certainly protecting the unborn is absolutely a, a, a biblical mandate. But the older generations are used to fighting this on a political fight. I'm going to show you a couple of statistics about abortion. During the height of the political fights about abortion, 30% uh, of all pregnancies ended in abortion, 30%. Now it's 13.5%. That's huge success. We can applaud that. The actual numbers of abortions used to be 1.6 million per year. Now it's about 700,000, a little over 700,000. Now every single one of them can break our heart, but what, what is happening? What is happening is that the world is changing, especially the United States and the West is changing. You may not believe this, but young people today are having less premarital sex than any other generation, less premarital sex. And if they are engaged in premarital sex, 
it's, it's more safe and more, quote, responsible. And so they're becoming more aware of what's happening, more aware of their bodies. Uh, sonograms are, are becoming, you know, some, are, are humanizing fetuses in wonderful ways. So, so when it comes to a political fight, I think we have to ask ourselves the question is, what's the best way to achieve some things? Is it by political fights and division? Or maybe the generations, even as something as sensitive as abortion, we can be on the same page to achieve the same goals, right? There's maybe other ways, more heart-driven ways of achieving the same goals. How about fossil fuel emissions? Huge problem over the last 70 years. Fossil fuel emissions will level off by 7070. By 7070, there will be more renewable energy created than fossil fuel energy created. There's a sustainability arc coming ahead. Life expectancy used to be an average of 35, 35 years of age. Now it's 70 years of age globally. By 2070, it'll be over 80, maybe 85 years global life expectancy. It is remarkable. This is the world that these kids are going to live in. It's incredible. Now, older generations will tend not to believe these numbers because older generations were raised with World War I, with Great Depression, World War II, Cold War threats, always looming threats. And so theology, especially Christian theology, but virtually every other religion as well, created sort of doomsday scenarios theologically. And so older Christians have been raised, myself included, with the paradigm that the world's coming to an end. Younger generations don't believe that. They don't see that in God's word. And I think they see more what Jesus saw. Now, Jesus saw something coming to an end. He talked about the end a lot. In fact, in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In Matthew chapter 27, he, uh, 24, he details what is coming to an end. And what's coming to an end is the temple, priests, the whole paradigm of religious law, the Mosaic law, the old covenant is coming to an end. The end times is an end to the old covenant. The end times was finished an awful long time ago, first century. What we're living in now is an era of resurrection, of rebirth. Now, this is where a lot of us, if you're 40 years old and older, you're shaking your head like, I, you are just wacko, pastor. Uh, you, you're lucky I'm still sitting in this chair. Because we were raised with, I was, I was raised in youth group. I'm sitting at youth group at Rancho Community Church as a freshman in high school. And my youth pastor, who I love very, very much to this day, said, I guarantee you the world's coming to an end by 1988. That was 1985. And I'm sitting there as a kid going, oh, world's coming to an end like tomorrow afternoon. And the whole, all youth groups were raised in that. And here we are. Here we are. And we're still chugging. These people were not raised in that theology that was that was forged by global disaster, World War I, Great Depression, World War II, Cold War. That's why that theology was created. They're no longer living under that threat. So they're seeing, I believe what Jesus saw was, yes, there was an end times, and that end times ended in the first century. Now we are living in a period of resurrection, rebirth. John 3.3, Jesus looks at this Pharisee, Nicodemus. He's a man who memorized the first five books of the Bible, memorized the Mosaic law. He was a Pharisee. He performed all the religious rites and rituals and morality perfectly. And Jesus says, hey, Pharisee, Nicodemus, we call him Nick. Hey, Nick, you're not experiencing the kingdom of God. You've memorized God's word. You keep the commandments perfectly. You keep the rites and rituals of the temple perfectly. You are a wonderfully moral person. You are not experiencing the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Nick, 
Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says there has to be an end times. There has to be an end of the old covenant. There has to be an end of the religious paradigm so people can be free to be born again and truly alive, right? To enjoy a relationship with God. Jesus says God is a heavenly father. He's not this condemning judge who just wants to hurt you if you fail. That's the religious paradigm. He says something new has to be raised from the dead. You have to be born again. Die to the law, die to religion, die to the temple, die to the commands, die to the priesthoods, die to all these rites and rituals so that something new can be born again. A life not of law, but of spirit, relationship. Younger generations understand that. Younger generations understand that this new life is a life of relationship with God, that this new life is a life of advancing the cause of Christ, doing what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus quoted Isaiah 49 when he introduced himself. He says, say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. Young generations understand that the cause of Christ is helping people in need. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're naked, clothe them. If they're homeless, give them a house. Responsibly, of course, all the older people will say, well, it's gotta be responsible. Yes, has to be responsible. We all understand that. We gotta guide people, direct people, care for people in the way Jesus calls us to guide, direct, and care for people. Follow Jesus around. Um, young people understand we need to do what Jesus did. Not just protect religious traditions, not just protect moral codes, not just protect doctrinal codes, not just protect laws but love people, love people. That's the law of Christ. One of the main reasons Gen Z will be able to build the world Jesus envisioned is that they're largely free from a religious institutionalism. And that's a good thing. Religious institutionalism needs to be reformed. It needs to be reformed away from law and towards spirit, right? Understand that, that, that law had its time, law had its place to introduce Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law, and he died to fulfill every little jot and tittle of the law. He didn't die to abolish it, but he died to fulfill it. And so now we are free to live by the Spirit, where there's no law looming over us. There's no threat or fear looming over us. We get to enjoy God and enjoy advancing the cause of Christ based on his love for us and our love for others. Young generations have a wonderfully Christ-like worldview now, they may not go to church a lot, but they have a belief in God that is alive and well. They believe God is a good God who desires good for all. They believe that God wants to usher in a new world, which Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. And we don't have to die to get there. It can come right here and right now. That God wants us to make the world more unified, that God wants the marginalized treated as equals, that God wants a world where everyone is loved, everyone is free, and everyone has enough, and God wants us to steward a planet that can be sustainable. This is the driving force of the young generations, right? This is called redemptive theology. Redemptive theology. It's not a theology that says it's all going to heck in a handbasket and blowing up. It's a theology that says that this is going to be a victory march. It's going to be a celebration that the things that Jesus came to, to teach about and the way he lived his life, that's gonna become more normal on earth. Statistically, that's happening. I, I showed you, I proved it, end of that discussion. <laughs> that was meant to be kind of funny. It wasn't, I won't use that in any other service. These, these people, these young people understand this, that there are better days ahead and that even the most marginalized will be cared for the way Jesus cared for them. 
Here's the vision of God's word, Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. And you tell me if God's word isn't about redemption, unifying people with God, unifying people with each other. God made known to us the mystery of his will. Here is the mystery of his will according to God's pleasure to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the goal. Nobody's talking about dying to get there. We're talking about living to get there. A world that God imagined from the Old Testament to the New Testament. A world where all of humankind is united with God by grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus took away every barrier between humankind and God, every single one. He died for that, to to take care of sin, to fulfill the law, to give us his righteousness. Now when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It's a free gift. Now that kind of love thoroughly enjoyed, that's the kind of love I wanna share to others. So when these kids talk about racism and sexism that, that still exists in their world today, they're approaching that with hope. We're gonna fix it. We're not gonna bow down to that. We're not just gonna cower and say everything's gonna get worse and worse. We're gonna make this world like heaven and they're gonna do it. What are we gonna do to help them? That's the question. What are we gonna do to help them? It is so easy to judge and criticize. It's so easy to say to the younger generation, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're not going in, in, into church and all is lost. Well, maybe the church is lost. Maybe the church needs to be reformed. Maybe we need to have more of their heart and to say those doors are always wide open and there's not a list of sins that you, you know, if you do those lists, you're not welcome. You're always welcome to hear God's love and grace. Maybe the church needs to be reformed to look a little bit like these middle school students accepting people, loving people, knowing that we need to do what Jesus did. Not just protect our religious traditions, but do what Jesus did. And if the older generations were to say, you know what, there's things I can nitpick, there's things I could criticize, there's things I might wanna protect, I'm gonna put those aside. And I'll talk about that with maybe my buddies. (laughs) But when it comes to how I relate with the younger generations and how I, I relate with this church community, we are here to fuel them to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we're gonna be positive. We're not gonna mock them, we're gonna high five them. We might wanna volunteer in children's ministries and youth ministries, there are things going on, I'm telling you. We are mobilizing probably a couple hundred people this year, young people overseas to serve the world. There are things going on in this generation and they need our coaching, they need our resourcing, they need our wisdom, they need us to champion and cheer them, not to judge them from a distance as though we have it all figured out, we don't. We do have wisdom to impart. They need help from us to mobilize. They need help from us to resource. They need our time. They need our treasure. They need our attention. They need our unconditional love because they will usher in a global peace and prosperity and justice for everyone everywhere the world has never seen. And it's in line with the heart of God. Let's see that happen, all right? Let's pray. Our God and Father, these are our fun topics, sometimes uncomfortable for some, and that's just part of being a learning community growing together. And while we might not all agree on every part of this, theologically or strategically, we can agree that your heart is to use all generations, as Joel 2 and Acts chapter 2 say, specifically the young generations who see visions. That day is here. This young generation sees a vision of a world redeemed, a world united with you and a world united with each other, a world of peace, a world where we are not hurting each other, we're not assaulting each other, we're treating all ethnicities equally. We're treating men and women equally, equal opportunity for all, loving the marginalized. We see in this generation the values of Jesus Christ himself. And while every generation has immense value, 
we can use the values of the older generations to bring life and resourcing to the younger. So God continue to teach us how to, to love each other in unity. Thank you for this church, Rancho, that is so wonderfully, almost perfectly, uh, generationally diverse from uh, the traditions all the way down to Generation Z. We have an opportunity to be a bright, shining light of what it means to unite the generations around the cause of Christ. In his name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen.